Hello, hello. Welcome back to another incredible episode of the Awakening Her podcast. My name is Talia Joy. I'm a manifestation mentor, intuitive development teacher, and seeker on the path here to help you activate the light. So I am excited that you're here. Today, I am bringing in more joy. That's right. You get double the joy. <laughs> Today, I'm sitting down with Joy Stone, who is a best-selling author, a mindset mentor, and a spiritual teacher. And she is here to talk about the topic that is the title of her best-selling book, which is, if I'm so spiritual, why am I still so anxious? And I know this is going to resonate with so many of you. I know my one-on-one -on -one clients, the people in my group programs, and all the beautiful seekers I've connected with. And I know that a lot of you suffer with anxiety and overwhelm and self-doubt. So you're going to love today the way that Joy brings spiritual practices, mindset stuff, rewiring the brain, talks about her story and all the hacks that she's used and she teaches to help seekers to feel more self-assured, to feel more confident and no longer in this place of crippling anxiety and self-doubt. So you're just going to love everything she has to say today. Make sure to check the show notes for all her social media, her website, and of course her beautiful book. Make sure to grab that book. So without further ado, let's bring Joy onto the show. Hey, Seeker, welcome to the Awakening Her podcast. I am so grateful that you've been led here, and I'm excited for you that you're answering the call to manifest more magic in your life by mastering the law of attraction. So cool. My name is Talia, and I'm committed to cutting the fluff and showing you exactly how to manifest more excitement, ease, success, abundance, confidence, love, and anything else you've been craving. So if you're ready to crack the code on manifestation, amplify your intuition and play in the quantum. We are now besties. Let's do this. Hello, Joy. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited you're here today. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. It's Monday and I feel, I feel good. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited. Um, we've just had a little chat and I'm really excited for what we're going to talk about. I know everybody listening is going to be able to deeply resonate. Um, so Joy, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? I know you're a best-selling author and you're a coach and are up to all sorts of amazing things. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so I uh, I am the author of If I'm So Spiritual, Why Am I Still So Anxious? And that is a book that um, features a lot of what I, I offer in my coaching program, which is called Soul School, which is a program where I help women primarily who are basically at a point in their spiritual journey where they have a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, they've done a lot of practice, and they're still struggling with that undercurrent of anxiousness or self-doubt or feel like something is missing. And I help them get from that place to really experiencing a deep level of joy and connection and confidence and inner trust. And how I got to this work is through my own experience. So I don't come at coaching just from an academic point of view, but really from an experiential point of view of years and years and years of my own anxiety, debilitating anxiety. And when I was younger, diagnosed with, um, generalized anxiety disorder, but also post-traumatic stress disorder in my early twenties. Um, my own struggles through, uh, drinking too much to, as a way to treat my anxiety, all sorts of things and having really a breakdown 
um, which was like a breakthrough, like a breakdown of that moment of when, why am I still feeling this way when I've done all this work? And at the time when I had the, that sort of breakdown, which we can talk about, I was teaching yoga. I had graduated from my positive psychology program. So that's the study of optimal human flourishing happiness. And I was struggling. I had all of this information. Um, I was a student of yoga, not only teaching it, meditation, breathing, all the things, had the mantras, had the mala beads, you know, all those things. And I was still like, what is wrong with me? And I had this awakening, which was that breakdown breakthrough that then became what I wrote about in my book and what I've been sharing with women for the last many years uh, through Soul School. Mm. Amazing. That's it's so relatable. And I think that so many people can just relate to even when you are making lots of positive change. I'm sure when you were teaching yoga and, you know, in school learning positive psychology, there must have been so many amazing moments and peaceful moments and great connected feeling moments. Yet at the end of the day, there's still this thing going on. Um, that must have even been a little bit uncomfortable because I bet you were feeling like you shouldn't be feeling that way, right? Oh yeah, definitely feel like I shouldn't be feeling that way. And the other thing is a lot of us who experience, whether it's this deep level of self-doubt or anxiousness or like something is wrong with us, we get very good at covering it up. We get very good at showing the world the perfect facade. And so it becomes not only like frustrating and what's wrong with me is there's this kind of shame that's layered with it. And also this sense of loneliness, because you don't really tell people what is going on with you. You might tell a few close people, you know, but, but the general world thinks that you're just fine. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first started coming out about my anxiousness and my self-doubt and my lack of feeling like I wasn't worthy, when I really started talking about that on, a, on maybe more of a public level, not just in the quiet room with my husband or my teachers, it was people were so surprised because they were like, you always seem so happy. You always seem so perky. And I was like, I am, you know, I have happiness, but there is this deep level of discontent inside of me that I'm still wondering why that's there, this anxiety. And I need to talk about it because it's, it's a, it's a, like a quiet desperation, really. Mm. Like Henry David Thoreau always talks about with that or wrote about was that quiet desperation of someone who has everything seemingly has everything but a purpose. And I think when you're anxious, you're lacking that soul connection. There's something missing there and you lose your sense of purpose, which I believe in this life is to have the experience of joy, mm -hmm. of deep joy. So there was that lacking, but that's a long answer, but yeah, it was very lonely and there was, it was confusing and yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because as you're saying this, I'm just thinking how we all have these secrets or these feelings of like, am I a good enough mother, my body, my where I am at in life, the amount of money I make, like whatever it is, but we hide it. Everyone always, is always hiding it. And, and it's this it's becomes this secret that takes more effort. Probably you're probably anxious about the fact that you're so anxious and you can't seem to heal your anxiety. It's this like perpetual cycle. And yeah, as you say, when people say, Hey, how are you? It's, it's not usually comfortable to just lay it all out there. Or sometimes it's not even appropriate to lay it all out there. So we become very isolated because you feel like nobody understands yet at the same time, I think we all feel that in some flavor or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think um, that's part of the human condition is, you know, in spiritual teaching, it's like, 
and especially in the yoga philosophy that I come from, because yoga is this whole vast philosophy and spirituality and, and rich, like material to live from. It's not just something we roll out our yoga mat and do postures. And I know, you know, a lot of us know that. Um, but, but I think the general ideas that yoga is, are these postures, but there's this whole philosophy that, that the universe or God or consciousness or whatever you want to call it became us, that we are part of this vast, beautiful, all powerful, joyful, blissful, perfect, what yoga calls pranatva, this perfection that knows no opposite. So it's not the perfection, like trying to be the perfect body or whatever, but this deep sense of perfection mm that we are part of. And then we we're embodied, we become who we are and we're born into a world that's sort of driven by fear and separation. Not because it's bad, just because that's what sort of happens. The ego creates separation. And so we become identified with these identities of who we think we need to be to survive, who people want us to be, or we start to form identities from a young age because of survival, because we just want to function in the world. And as we do that, we lose sight of who we really are. We lose sight of that connection to self. And so out of a need to connect, we actually become disconnected. I believe because out of a need to connect with others, I become disconnected because I'm trying to fit in rather than belong to who I really am, really have that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. So um, it does. I think that we're all, it's part of that human condition. We're just, we feel a sense of separation and what yoga teaching tells us and the yoga sutra is that this, this misperception about who we are, this disconnection, this feeling of separation is actually the cause of all human suffering. Mm -hmm. It's the mm -hmm. cause of it. And so the solution to it is to actually come back to us, to a clarity about who we are. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of us that um, walk around and say we're fine and we don't know why we feel the way we do. We don't even know how to separate ourselves from our thoughts or, you know, mm -hmm. from these beliefs or ideas or, you know. Yeah. And also a lot of physical ailments. We don't know why we have gut issues or high blood pressure or, you know, systemic inflammation or allergies, you know, but we also yeah. feel anxious all the time and don't know what to do. So then I have to ask like, what was missing in your life? What was that? And, and everything you were just describing about how we've learned to live our life how then does that cause anxiety? What's going on there? Yeah. Well, now you can look at anxiety. It's such a good question. You can look at anxiety from the biomedical lens, right? Of what anxiety is. And what I learned through the biomedical lens is obviously there's physiology happening in the body. Um, but our thoughts create, it's like, if we say, okay, you have, um, you have anxiety, therefore you have negative thoughts or worrisome thoughts about the future. Okay. We could say that through the biomedical lens. Maybe they would say, joy, you have anxiety. That's why you're thinking negatively. That's why you're so afraid. Okay. Well, what another way to look at this through the spiritual lens, through the yogic lens is that you actually have wrong thought. You have negative thinking, you have thoughts that are creating the anxiety. So you take care of the cause. So I had what I was doing for years and years, the piece that was missing is that from a very young age, because I was diagnosed with anxiety, I got in the habit of treating the anxiety. I was always working on the anxiety. Like, well, if I can just take enough breaths or if I can avoid my triggers or if when I'm triggered, I know exactly what to do. So it was like my life became this thing about treating this anxiety. And that's when I hit that bottom and had that breakthrough. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm always treating this anxiety. Why is it still coming up? 
why is it still happening? Why am I still triggered? Why do I still care what people think? Why can't I walk in a room and just be me? Why if someone says something to me, like your class was slow. You know, I remember one time, one of my dear friends said, she was in my yoga class when I was teaching yoga. And she said, oh, I liked your class, Joe, but it was a little slow. That's a, that's a neutral comment that I took into my, myself and was like, something's wrong with me. And then I let it loop and spin and made it into something. That's just one tiny example of how anxiety can just take over. But I had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, okay. I've been treating anxiety and what anxiety actually is. And this was kind of a download that came to me, these three ideas out of all these years of seeking and searching in this moment was anxiety is actually feedback. It is not a failure. It is not a problem. It is just like anything else. It is feedback about where I am in relationship to source, where I am in relationship to myself. And now this is a totally different lens to look at anxiety through. We look at it, we look at like manifestation or other things or law of attraction or things like that with this idea that we're creating our reality. But somehow anxiety was exempt. Somehow I wasn't applying it to this thing that was made into a pathology. So I started treating the pathology. And the more I did, the more separate I became from myself. So I know I just said that, but that was such a huge enlightened moment in my life that when I'm anxious, it's telling me where my attention is in relationship to who I truly am. Mm -hmm. And so in this way, it's a gift. If I can look at it as an opportunity, as a gift, as a compass, wow. And then I started to change my awareness that anxiety is not the diagnosis, it's the symptom. It's the symptom in biomedical lens. It's the diagnosis in spiritual lens. It's the symptom. And mm -hmm. the actual diagnosis is what I was just saying is it's disconnection from self. So when I shifted my focus from treating anxiety to learning to actually cultivate a relationship to myself, mm -hmm. my life took off in a whole new direction. And it wasn't like I wasn't told that somewhere, but the pieces weren't being put together in my own realm of awareness. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And it's often those things you were told a bunch of times, you know, I had a life-changing moment when I realized what be the change was. It was like, I was sobbing. I'm like, oh my goodness, be the change, not do the change. It was like this huge thing. And I'd heard it a million times. That is an incredible way to just, I just feel you. I feel how it's like we're searching and searching to fix it and heal it and mantra it and flip it and remove it. And, you know, and I've been doing that a lot with clients where I've taught them all these tools, but then they'll be like, I tried to flip it. And I tried to do this. And I'm like, you know, what you need to do is like reset the vibe, almost like realize like I have gone astray from the source inside me and I need to touch nature, have a nap, have a bath. It's almost like a child, like shake them out of it, you know, just yeah. distract yourself in a way because there's no more fixing that can be done. And I just, as you're saying that I'm like, yes, it, it, these emotions are your guiding system. And when you're anxious, it just means you're believing something that's not true. And I love that reframe of like, oh, and how, yeah, that could apply to everything else, but somehow anxiety, yeah. you know, and, and I have that too. There's things that I'm like, Oh wait, I'm not, I don't have to still struggle with this thing. Cause it's not exempt from the rest. It, it, it is the same, you know, uh, tools and process and all that, but that's amazing. I know that's going to land with so many people. So what did you experience when you said like, then my, my life just took off in a whole new direction. What was that? What started being different once you realized this? So many things. And I love what you just said. And just that 
I mean, I think just to, to like even reemphasize what, you know, we're both saying here is there isn't anything exempt from these spiritual principles in terms of we have to be, and, you know, with you, like, you know, awakening her podcast and you were saying like, it's about being her, being her and, and be the change, like you just said. And this is exactly what took off in my life after I stopped treating the anxiety and hammer, you know, everything I could throw at in the kitchen sink, like what, what can I throw at this anxiety? It was, oh, okay, now I'm understanding these spiritual teachings on a whole new level because in yoga philosophy, and this is just the philosophy that I lean into and that I teach from, primarily the, the Yoga Sutra, which is for your audience, if they don't know, it's 195 aphorisms. That's one of these foundational texts of yoga. And it's little aphorisms that, that uh, kind of move together to help us awaken to who we really are that help us uh, discern what is always changing with what is permanent, that life is always changing, but there's a permanent aspect to who we are. And we need to really have an experiential uh, moment with or away with that, not just academic. So there's a word in the, in this teaching and it comes out of many times in yoga, we talk about it. It's tapas, T-A-P-A-S. And it means, um, it means refined action. It means taking new actions. It means doing something that might feel like you're swimming upstream mm. because it's going to create some heat in your life. It's going to, it's going to cause you to go against what might be your nature. And you said something earlier where you might become ang anxious about overcoming your anxiety. You might, and, and it, for example, like a perfectionist might become perfectionistic about overcoming their perfectionism. Mm -hmm. We lean into our mm -hmm. tendencies and this is why spiritual practice at, at times can feel like swimming upstream because it's going to require us to do actions that challenge us. But in that challenge, it's like Carl Jung says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll run your life and you'll call it fate. It's through tapas. It's through this, this new behavior that the rub happens and things come up to the top mm. and you have to reflect on why what is that belief about? Why am I falling back into that? Like, why is believing in myself so hard? Why, when I walk in a, not just like staring at the pathology, but like looking at it from the becoming who you want to be. So this tapas was like, oh my gosh, a whole new thing. And then there's another teaching in yoga, which is abhyasa. And abhyasa means practice, but it's a very particular type of practice. It's about connecting to who you are, the most intimate part of who you are, but it's practicing that on a daily basis. And like what you're talking about, it's the tapas is, okay, so my goal is I want to be a confident woman that trusts herself wherever she goes. So I have to, that's my goal. That's my tapas. That's my, that's what I want. The practice is how do I be her? Let me be her on a daily basis. This is very different than let me just try not to have triggers. Mm -hmm. Let me just try not to get stressed out today. Let me try not to care what someone thinks about me. And simultaneously over here, remember that there's this source inside of me that I need to connect with once in a while. It's like, no, like be the change, become it. There's the last thing I'll say to this question is there's a teaching in, in Sanskrit, which is Satvada Parinam Vada. And it means this is your reality but your reality can change. You, you can change your reality, but you have to become it on the inside first. You have to be the place 
that the life you want can happen from. And this is the same is true with anxiety. It is no different. So it was becoming the confident person, being the confident person, even when there was that rub versus treating the anxiety. So long mm-hmm. answer again, but I think it's so, it's such a good question you asked. And I think it's so important. Yeah, that, that was an amazing answer. It's exactly all of it is just, just so it feels so good. And I know my listeners are listening, like dropping their shoulders being like, oh yeah, because I think all of us we, we, we tend to go back to the hustle even just a bit. And then it's kind of like noting that, okay, I'm starting to go back that way, you know, realizing it and recoursing, choosing again. And I think that with anxiety, I can only imagine that trying to fix, I just really feel that and how big of a shift that that truly is. Because when you're just like you said, throwing everything at it, right. The meditations of this, the, that, and that's good, but it, it seems good but it's lighting the wrong end of the stick because it's like, I have a problem. I have a problem. I have a problem. I need to fix my problem. I need to fix my, is this going to fix my problem? Are you going to fix my problem? Is this, and which is just focusing on the problem and what you resist persists, right? As you know, so it's, it's consistently keeping that anxiety alive. And it must be a little bit scary though, when you work with people, because this is what you help people with, is it a little bit scary for them when you kind of are trying to coax them away from almost like taking the gas off of the trying to fix the anxiety and refocusing because it's almost that same thing of like, well, if I don't try to fix it, it's going to run rampant, right? I'm the one that's trying, you know, does that happen when you're trying to help people? Yeah. I mean, it does. And again, a lot of the women that I I tend to work with women and a lot of the women that I work with are at that place where they're ready for a change. They're like, okay, this has gotten so painful or this life has gotten so hard. And yet, yes, there is still that resistance to, but wait, this isn't what I have always, this isn't the way I've always seen it or, but wait, there's this thing that happened in my past that this can't possibly apply to, or, but wait, there really is this thing I need to be worrying about. How can I, how can you tell me that this is, I don't need to worry about this in this way. So there is always the resistance to, you know, and I think you probably teach this to the women you work or the people you work with too, is this toxic energy of resistance. And it's the resistance to change, even when it's good for us, because the power of that comfort zone is so big. It's Mm -hmm. so big to stay where we are, even when we want to change something. And the brain, you know, the way that I, I talk, teach the women that I work with is when we have this resistance that comes up, the brain, you know, that reticular activating, you know, system in our brain, that filter that we have, that basically is looking for evidence of what you already believe in your life to reflect it back to you. And so your brain wants to keep, it wants to believe the same thing because it's like, it wants congruence. So it doesn't want you all of a sudden, like telling it something else to believe or think, but it's in the habit of believing this old thing and looking for this old evidence. It's going to keep pulling you back because that's the habit. And this is where that sort of that third part of what I was saying when I had that download that day, was that anxiety is a pattern. It's not the person. It's just a pattern and that your brain is not wisdom. You have intelligence inside of you. We all do this like spiritual intelligence. This, the the soul of us, the spirit of us is intelligent. It's wise. It's all knowing. The brain is not that. The brain is like a computer that gets programmed and you have to rise above that 
as almost the witness and understand how your brain, which can be boring for some of us, right? If we're not geeks about it, right? But it's like, cause I'm kind of like that person wants to know. And I know a lot of your audience is interested in that too, but it's, we got to know that the brain is not really that interested in our happiness. It's interested in being right. Right. And this was a huge one. So I just let the women know that you can either keep believing what you're believing and keep getting that same experience, or you have to be willing to walk through the discomfort of being in that middle kind of place where there's just a lot of uncertainty, a lot of obvious uncertainty in, um, in Nathaniel Brandon's work, he's a, a, a psychotherapist and he came up with these ideas of these sentence stems and he does a lot of work around sentence stems, but he has a book called the six pillars of self-esteem. And one of the pillars is personal responsibility that if you are going to grow your confidence and your self-esteem and your efficacy in life and what yoga calls your authority, your studentship, you 100%, there's no way around it. You have to take 100% responsibility for your life. And this means that you're going to have to learn to respond differently to certain things. So, yeah. So when I work with women, it's starting from this place of there's nobody that can make these changes, but you, you have total freedom to suffer and continue to suffer, or you have freedom to be a little uncomfortable right now, get over that hurdle and find a whole new way of living. Um, but it is a lot of education at first too, about how the brain works, how the body works, how we actually relate to our environment and the world we're creating. Mm. Um, yeah, on a deep level. Yeah. So that's why I say when I work with women, we are at that place where it's already, they have a lot of spiritual experience, but it's now putting it together almost like a master, master class in a way, mastering it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because especially anxiety, it is a put into practice type thing. It just really is. If you're wanting to, I don't know. There's probably some things where it's not as sort of physical, right? But anxiety is something that if you want to change that physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pattern of everything that goes on when you have like a panic attack or an anxiety attack, it takes, like you say, effort and work on all the levels as well, which is, um, yeah, that's really interesting to think about. So what did you start doing differently, especially in the beginning when you were realizing this in the moment when you witness, okay, either I'm starting to get anxious or all of a sudden you found yourself in like an anxiety attack. What did you start doing differently in those actual moments? The acute treatment. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I will tell you that for sure. Let me back it up with a little piece because in the moment, what I had to start doing differently, and this is where Um, I think if we're all honest with ourselves as spiritual seekers, it gets really easy to skip the daily practice, to skip like that work that we're doing at home with our meditations, with our breathing, with our journaling, with our getting clear on who we want to be and, and even examining some of the things that do trigger us and how we want to show up in them differently. Like doing that boring work sometimes like, well, I got other things to do, or I'm just going to jump out of bed and get busy with my day. And I'm going to skip that and get to it later. I mean, we can all admit we've done those things, right? So what I had to first and foremost do is I had to get really serious about that. And what yoga sutra, what the yoga teacher tells us is you cannot get away from daily practice there. You literally, you have to have your daily practice, but your daily practice is not just rolling out the yoga mat, doing a few moves, doing a few breaths, maybe journaling what you're grateful for, which are all great things to do. But what you're specifically doing is you're getting clear on your goal. 
So you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, but my goal, for example, was very much around building my confidence. I had very specific things that I wanted to build around my confidence. For example, when I would teach yoga, I would have a complete inner panic attacks. No one could see them on the outside, but I was looking in everybody's eyes. Like they're judging me right now. They think this class is boring. I'm stupid. They don't like me. They can't wait for this to be over. Like there was a whole reality going on in my mind. Or one of my teachers would come in and that would throw me off. Like <gasps> one of my teachers who I put up on a pedestal, right? Would trigger my anxiety. Like now I'm not as good as I'm making a mistake. They're going to know it. So I would have to, in my daily practice, what you and I spoke about, which is become her, become that confident person inside of me in my daily practice. So for example, I would meditate. I would visualize myself being that confident woman teaching my classes or having a conversation with my teacher as a confident, equal human being. I had to see it and I wouldn't let myself get up from my meditation until I actually felt it. This was the difference. So it wasn't like, let me just pretend, but I wanted to feel it. Mm -hmm. And then I would imagine myself having one of those moments where I was scared or I was having that less than experience because it would come up. We're human. We're going to keep having our patterns for a while. Right. And how I would actually handle that, what I would actually do. And we know that when we embody something like, how would I actually hold my shoulders? How would I breathe? Would I look someone in the eye or would I look down at my feet? And I would have to get this specific. And this is what I mean. This is the boring work that a lot of us are like, but we just want the instant results. We have to get into the nitty gritty of recreating our reality. Mm -hmm. And so then I would journal like for a paragraph or more about what my confident self would be doing that day in the world. And I would encounter, there was a time when I was teaching at a certain yoga studio in Los Angeles. And there was another teacher there that did not like me. And it was very challenging for my, it would trigger the anxiety. And I would imagine myself walking in that studio, how I would feel and breathe and be when she was in my space instead of shrinking. And then I would practice being her in those moments when I was there. So that's the first thing we have to really own into our practice. We have to really get clear on the goal and the goal cannot be, I want to feel less anxious as we know, right? It's, I want to feel confident. I will stand like this. I will do this. This is how, this is the reality I want to create for myself. And even confidence, if we get clear, like when I'm really working with women, it's what does that specifically look like for you? Because if you and I were to say the word confidence and we were to draw a picture of it, we would have like a different picture of what that means in our life. So what does it mean? Then in the moment, if I would actually start to feel like, okay, it's coming back on, I could feel myself doubting myself. You know, I would, all I would do in those moments is I would really try to remember my, my, what I call my soul circle, my inner truth. I would just try to remember that part of me that is free and all knowing. Mm -hmm. That's all. I would take breaths and I would just say, okay, Joy, there's a part of you that is free and all knowing right now. You may not feel her. Just try to remember her because I feel like when we wake up and when we're in our spiritual practice, we're in this constant flow of contraction and expansion. We're, we're, we're always going to have contracted moments. That's part of life. And in those contracted moments, the best sometimes we can do is just remember who we are. We may not feel it, 
is just remember. And so to me, I got in this habit or this practice of when I was feeling scared is just remembering and developing that muscle, even if I didn't feel her. And, you know, you can't say your mantra or take a breath in those moments, but it really is for me about remembering the true nature. Cause remember what I said earlier, the anxiety is now showing me where I'm in relationship to her, to the deep me. And it's, 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 it seems esoteric, but it's not, it's like, it's the anchor, you yeah. know, to come back to her in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and oh. you can walk out of a room if you need to, you can do all the practical things, but don't bypass that part of remembering who you are. So important. Mm-hmm. Because she may sometimes walk out of the room, you know, there's times when, you know, my, her would be like, I'm not going to be here. If this does not work for me, I'm going to leave in self-love, you know, and then other times where I'm going to stand tall in self-love. And I love, I just love it because it's just so much of what I teach, but more than that, what has made all of the difference in my life. And I feel like people, whether they're talking about anxiety or they're talking about manifestation, they're leaving out this physical piece. People are even saying have a daily practice, but like you said, it's about, you know, the, the, the typical things, which I think also do whatever feels good. Like I do something where every day I go put my bare feet on the earth, especially since I've moved, I've like really kicked it up because before it was harder. Now I have all of the earth. And so I've been really doing it even more just the last week or, or two. And that's good, but that's much different than being her, even though I can be her while my feet are on the earth. But I I just hear you with that daily practice. And I love that taking a minute to embody, not just to go through the motions of something to embody who it is that you're becoming, who it is that you truly are. It's just so life-changing. And how I asked the question, like, what did you start doing different? Something I'm also hearing is the very first thing, like once you had that download, it actually sounded like the doing was the release of trying to fix it. So there's probably this time in between where all you were doing was as anxiety was coming up, you were just releasing the need to fix it. And like you said, being a bit uncomfortable, being a bit in between. And then as that new pattern gathered momentum, then you started being able to be like, okay, where am I disconnected? Or, you know, whatever it was that you would, you know, do on any given day, depending on what's going on. Um, But I love that because we do need to like, sometimes there's a point where you need to just let go, trying to fix, trying to get better. And I witnessed that in myself where something's happening and my natural inclination is like, okay, what can I do differently? What pattern can I change? What mindset thing can I change? But sometimes it's like, I just got to let go of that constant pressure to fix myself first. And then the solution usually percolates to the top after I sit in that, just like, so I'm just loving myself now and everything that I am like, and then once I kind of get that a little bit, it's like, okay, here's some tools. I'm like, okay, thanks. (laughs) And and it's true because this whole thing that we're talking about, we're trying to, we know we're putting it into like these, these words is goes back to what I think you're saying. And what I was saying is this is an experiential process. This is not an academic process And what's happened in our culture in many ways is, and we're coming out of this now, I think, is we got into this like quick fix, fast paced, you know, all this knowledge all at once, give it to me all at once so I can figure it out and fix myself, which is we're turning that around as we're not broken. And when you look at a teaching like the Yoga Sutra or any other of these ancient teachings, right, is the Yoga Sutra, for example, was an oral tradition 
it wasn't in a book, it's in a book now. And you would get one sutra and go meditate on it for years. Whereas now as a student, we want all 195 and we want to know them all right now. Well, the knowledge of them isn't going to change me necessarily. It's going to be inspiring, but it's the doing. It's the, it's not the doing like fixing. It's the actual practice of and letting them become part of who we are. And I think that is the, there is this like with these practical things that we need to do to treat the symptoms as they arise. But again, anxiety is one of those symptoms. We have to get to that deep reconnection to who we are. And, you know, there's like, I had this um, kind of thought not too long ago, and I was sharing it with my, the group of women that I work with. And cause I love to pull from all types of teachings, you know, there's all, all teachings and, and even like the, um, the foundational teachings of Jesus, you know, Jesus, these beautiful teachings of what his actual, like, um, the truest form of his teachings, when you get to them are teaching very much what the yogis and the ancient teachings are. And one of the things that he, when people would go to, to Jesus to get healed, right. It was that he would, he would tell people like, I'm not, it's like, you too can do this. I'm not really healing. Like I'm healing, but you're healing yourself. Basically what it, what I had this idea about was, and I'm sure this has been said many other ways by other people, but this was my own download experience of this was it was the expectation that changed. As soon as they got in the presence of Jesus, they expected Jesus to heal them. So they were healed, but it was their own expectation. And this is what is true for us in our healing at all. It's our expectation. So it's, it's being in those moments, whether it's in the panic, you know, in the panic, we just have to get out of the panic and do what we have to do to treat the symptoms. But in the daily practice, it's the expectation of training our brain and our physiology to see life differently because we, Jesus said, seek and you shall find according to your faith. It's the same thing. Laws of attraction are telling us the, the, the quantum physics, the, the yogis, it's what you believe the reticular activating system science is showing us what you believe you will find. And there's many things you can find. And if I go out in my day, believing that I'm going to be anxious, or there will be things that will make me anxious, I will find those things. My brain will look for those, or if my brain's in the habit of finding those things. So we are re, we're retraining ourselves for peace, but peace is always there too. So I just think it comes down a lot to those expectations, seek and you shall find according to your belief. And this is what the yogis teach us in, in Sutra 120, which is about Shraddha or faith. It basically says, have faith with your whole self, your whole self. That's like, that's like the idea of becoming your whole self, have faith that you're healed, have faith that you can be confident, have faith in your goal mm. and practice it in your actual life. You know? So that's mm. really what changed is the willingness to be uncomfortable, the willingness to take responsibility, the willingness to see that it's my relationship to source. That is the key. Yeah. And that expectation, as you said, it's so important when you have a pattern, you expect to continue the pattern. You, you know, you also expect something and know yourself to be someone. So it's also a whole deconstructing of your identity as you're practicing that you could also call it embodiment, right? Your whole self, bringing it into the body. I've been really obsessed with that lately because I had a download again. I probably heard it a million times, but one day I just heard like you manifest in 3d. 
So when you're spending all your time in 5D wondering where's my stuff or whatever, why isn't anything changing? It's because you have to actually be it in 3D. And that to me was like one of those light bulbs and it's the same type of thing, but it was like, oh yeah, this is where creation happens. I can't actually manifest a, you know, puppy into my home. That's probably a funny example to pick, but I can manifest the opportunity, but I still have to connect the dots and go do something about it. Right. So it's like that embodiment piece of being her every day or the whole self and connecting to that intention, what you truly are, who, you know, what you, what you're becoming, everything you want to be and do. That's the physical embodiment of what you're trying to achieve up here by meditating all day or visualizing. It's like, you got to bring it down and that's just so powerful. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. The yeah, expectation. yeah. The expectation piece too. I was thinking about Abraham. You probably know the teachings of Abraham. And she said that in the beginning, people would say like, is it hard to go get Abraham? Is it hard? You know, how do you do that? And she said like, I don't have to do anything because so like thousands or hundreds or whatever the venue is, hundreds of you show up expecting Abraham. So Abraham's right there. It's very easy. It's harder if I'm in front of one person and they're skeptical or something. And that was back in the day. It's probably not hard for her at all now, but that it's the expectation draws Abraham to the surface and that's all you need to do. So just keep showing up in excitement of what's going on and it's easy, you know, and I just thought that was so neat. Um, so I do have a, a question I was wanting to ask you about children and teenagers and when we have children. So what about when we start seeing anxiety in our children? Um, I have a, a, my oldest is very sensitive. She's very empathic, very intuitive, and that can come out as anxiety because she doesn't know how to interpret what she feels. If there's any bad vibes, if someone's off, which, you know, in a family of a million it happens all the time, she yeah. feels tension. She does, you know, so I'm starting to witness, um, I don't know if it's full blown anxiety, but definitely that type of emotion. And, you know, I've talked to lots of clients that have their children have anxiety. So what can we do with our children to try to get this knowledge to seep into them so they can maybe learn these tools young? Yeah. Oh, it's so I know, uh, because when we can teach young, it's such a blessing because they get sort of access into these teachings or at least, you know, introduced to them in a way that it won't be so hard to change patterns when you get older and you're developing positive patterns. Mm-hmm. So my son also, I have a, I have a six-year-old, he'll be seven. And there's a lot of emotion there. And there can be a lot of that. You can start to see some of that anxiety kicking up. And what we have, what I love to use is we have an emotions chart. So I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you can make one at home. We have it. It has, we have ours with an, um, a circle in the middle. And in the middle are like the emotions that would be more synonymous with our soul, you know, like free, content, happy, peaceful, um, confident. Now this doesn't mean that the the other emotions are bad, right? We're not saying negative emotions are bad. They're all part of the human experience. But so basically teaching our kids about emotional intelligence, because we've heard that term and children, as we know, don't have their prefrontal cortex is not developed. So they don't have the ability. They're very emotional. They don't have the ability to discern all the time what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, what's happening. Um, so we are teaching them to do that even as they're developing. So we have a, a circle in the middle and, and Jack has this in his room right by his bed and he'll tell me now, mommy, I need my emotions chart. So mm-hmm. he'll actually ask me for it, which is amazing. And then we have 
all the other like emotions that we could think of written on the outside, whether it's um, feeling overwhelmed, sad, tired, scared, frightened, nervous, worried, all these emotions. And he can point to what he's feeling. We have pictures of them. So we drew faces because he's, he can read now, but when he couldn't. Um, so we point to that. And then we start to talk about like, you know, um, what do you think, you know, you need, like what, what could help you or how could I help you? Or what does it feel like to feel sad or worried or so that we don't want to get in this habit of immediately fixing it for them or immediately stuffing it down or immediately telling them it's not, not like we're saying it's not okay to feel how you're feeling, but we're like trying to solve it. Mm -hmm. So it's more about like, where do you feel that in your body? You know, what does that feel like? And then when he can talk about it, it's like, oh, okay. And you know, then how can I help you? Or what do we look at that middle? What might, how do you want to feel? And he looks at those ones in there, you know, maybe I want to feel happy or I want to feel excited or calm. And we talk about what he can do to feel that way. And that's it. It's just seriously giving them some authority in their life and helping them find that wisdom in them, helping them understand. So we also can do things like we have a straw, a thick straw, just more practical stuff is we have a thick straw that we have Jack blow out of. So when he starts to get really excited or overwhelmed, or we can tell that something's going on before we even look at the emotions chart, you know how we take long exhales? to calm down. Kids have a hard time doing that, like a really elongating their exhale. So we'll have them take a big breath and then blow out the straw. Mm. And that helps them get a long exhale. Mm. We also have um, sandbags. So like I just took some rice and put them in little sandbags and we have Jack lay down. Sometimes we put him over his thigh and that really ground gives him that grounding safe feeling as so we can teach him body stuff like that as well. But the, what I find is really helpful is um, that emotions chart is extremely helpful mm-hmm. to helping them have that. Is that helpful? Yeah, definitely. I love to the piece about not trying to fix it. And that's something I witnessed because my daughter, she's 11 very soon. And so, and she's so much like me, so much like me as a child. And so I wanted to rescue her from what I experienced. I hated my mom saying, you're too sensitive. And I can hear it. That still rings through me. I still have, you know, inner child work to be done. Um, so I just see her. And sometimes I even witness my own frustration, like, oh man, she's so sensitive. Like you can't, you got to tiptoe. I don't, of course, don't say it to her, but I feel it and I don't want her to feel it. And so I'd try to be like, no, no, sweetie, you know, that like he didn't do that. And I'd try to fix it. And so maybe about a year or two ago, I just started realizing like, you don't need to be a hero, just kind of like be a friend or be a person that's there for her. So now I'll be just be like, oh, sweetie, you know, give her a hug, just be with her in a little bit of silence and like, what's going on? What are you feeling? And if she's kind of like, I don't know, I'll be like, yeah. And sometimes I'll be just be like, I know what that's like to feel really emotional and not even know why it's totally okay. And I'll just almost try to like physically touch or give her a hug because that's what works for her. That switch from trying to fix it, trying to distract her, trying to be like, look over here. Um, and we do that. And you hear people all the time, like a kid falls down, like say, no, 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 you're fine. No, you're fine. Or they're scared by something. Oh, that's silly. That's just a whatever. You're fine. And it's like, wow, we, we, we show them not to feel their feelings. And so, yeah, having a sensitive kid, that really helped me too. 
I've heard um, my daughter try to wait it weighted blanket at grandma's house a while ago. And she's like, I love it. And I was like, Oh, what about it? She's like, I felt so cozy. And that's the same daughter. So she had asked like, are there children's ones or can we use that? And so I was going to look into that. So that's a good nudge too, is like that safety. Maybe that would help yeah. her also just to feel grounded, like you said, and more well, safe. Because anxiety in, in like yoga or in, um, yeah, through, you know, the Ayurvedic tradition more, but the sister science of yoga is anxiety is very vata. So when we look at the doshas, it's very much the air ether element. So it's like, we're up in our head. We feel very uprooted, ungrounded, overwhelmed, no structure, lack of container. So anything that helps us, that's why children who do have anxiety, they need, which can be really like a discipline for the parent. They need structure. They need schedules. They like safety. They like the container, even when they resist it, like all kids will push the boundaries, right? But it's, it's that, okay, here's our structure. Here's what we do. There's still fluidity there and spontaneity, but there's a schedule. Mm-hmm. Kids with anxiety really need that. And so do adults at first. We need to have that structure. Um, and I love what you said too, is asking your child is, is like, if my son says, well, I'm feeling, you know, I feel like, you know, someone was mean to me at school or I was left out on the playground that's come up before. And, you know, I just say stuff like I, that, that definitely would be hurtful. That, that sounds really hurtful. That sounds hard. And just acknowledging Mm -hmm. what they actually said. And that does seem really hard. And that seems really, that seems like that would be painful and allowing them to have that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but giving them structure is really important too. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, I resonates all of it. Cause don't we just want to be acknowledged? Like I'm so thankful for my husband. There's so many times and he now, I mean, he's in this world so much with me, but you know, the other night I even just had like a meltdown. I'm way overtired, moving all these things. And it was just piling up and, and I started just letting it out. And, um, you know, he's going like, okay. And you know, what do you need? I'm like, I don't even need anything right now. I just need you to hear me. He's like, okay. And he'll sit there with like this posture of like, okay, what you got? I'm like, and I'm tired. And I just, and the this, and, you know, it's, it's good yeah. change, but it's still stressful. And he's just, you know, cause sometimes I don't even need anything except to just be heard. And he'll sit there and it's so funny. Cause I know what he's doing like that. That must be really hard. Like that sounds tough. And it's like 1% irritating. Cause he's uh-huh. just it, but 99%, I'm like, it is hard. Like, thank you so much. Cause it, he, obviously he genuinely cares, but even though I know that he's going through the thing of, of what is helpful and it's slightly like, don't put me through a process. It's still right. like, okay, I'll sink in. Cause I really do want to be acknowledged. That's at the, the core of it is like, and I just want to be acknowledged. So I think that's so powerful to bring that in with our kids. And it really is. And with ourselves, it's like, I have a really good friend who's a coach of, um, she coaches parents of anxious kids. Mm. So like who kids who are really have anxiety and the parents and how to help them. And what she always teaches is that the most important thing you can do to help your kid, your anxious kid is to take care of yourself. Like mm-hmm. that's the first thing is you got to take care of yourself. You got to make sure you're, you have whatever practices you need in place. You're eating well, you're resting. And this can be so hard, especially when we've just gone through, you know, a pandemic and we're, We've all been, you know, kind of in different places with our lives and a lot of people got off balance. So the other thing I want to say about anxiety for the kids though, is I noticed this with my son big time. If he gets too much technology time, he's like spinning that activates his moods and not the positive ones. Mm -hmm. So limiting the, um, technology 
is a big one. You know, I'm not saying no technology, but just really having some boundaries around that. Mm-hmm. So important. I notice that a lot in my kids too, if there's been a time where they've like watched a movie or something where it's been, you know, an hour or more or something, they, we call it the TV slump. And I actually shared it with them, not when they were in it. Cause I didn't want to like attack them, but now it'll be so funny. Cause like my younger daughter is seven. She'll come over and she's like, I'm in the TV slump and she's all grouchy, but at least she's owning it. I'm like, yeah, yeah you know what we should do? We should go out in the backyard. Like, let's go outside and have a breath of fresh air. And pretty soon we're playing with the hose or we're onto something else, but she'll name it now. And I'm like, yeah, I had the TV slump the other day too. It's just like, it, call it what it is. Right. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's like sometimes, and then, the, then you're like, oh, just watch another, you know, whatever episode. And then by the time, so and sometimes we need that. It's totally all in balance, of course, but yeah, yeah the technology and, and stuff like that. And I love that just getting outside with our kids is so, so helpful. So sometimes it's, it's also with, with our kids is, it's sitting in our own, I'll speak for myself, like my own discomfort of not being able to tie it all up in a bow and fix it for him that I have to walk through sometimes like, gosh, yeah, he's just having a rough day or he's feeling all his emotions. And I am uncomfortable because I can't fix that in the box, you know what, or put it like a bow on it and say, okay, we took care of that. It's life is so complex. And so it's treating each person as an individual because there isn't one right way and one do you know, it's just really being there present with our kids and, and being comfortable with our own emotions that we can have that presence for them. And so I know the more that I'm denying myself, the worse I am as a parent. Do you know what I mean? The more that I get out of balance myself and don't allow myself the moments to just cry or whatever I need, like you were talking about, you know, mm-hmm. then I'm harder on my kid, you know, yeah. like less tolerant, more irritated. Yeah. That's me yes. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you say that because just the other night when I was letting it all out, part of it was my daughter and just what she's going through and all this stuff. And, and I, I heard, cause I'm very in, intuition and I'm very clear audience. It comes to me hearing, but I just heard, and I, it was almost maybe like a hearsay, but anyways, I could just sense myself after she's done being a teenager and she's like all fine. And she's in her twenties or whatever going like, Oh, it wasn't all your fault. Everything she's going through. It's almost like, it's not all your fault. And I didn't really realize that I was making myself responsible for not being able to fix her. And I was saying to my husband, like, and I have all the tools and I just don't know why I just get more like irritated or I feel like I'm not helping her. And like me, I should be able to. And I realized all this stuff I was dumping on the situation, which was good. Cause the next morning I was able to just be like, Hey, sweetie, and just give her a big hug and love her. And not and realize that like she's okay to go through her journey and I can just be there for her. I don't have to fix, right? Coming back to that fix the yeah. anxiety, fix the stuff, projecting that onto her. Like I need to fix her and then feeling inadequate that I can't. It's like, okay, that's a lot of pressure. And I'm disconnected from the source inside me, knowing that she's fine and that she's yeah. gonna be okay and she's on her journey. It's okay, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so big. And as a parent, I'm sure all your, you know listeners who are parents are like, yes, this relay. And as a parent, I relate because we do, we just become the fixers. We're the caretakers. We want to take it all off there. We don't want to see them hurt. We don't want to see them in pain. And so, yeah. And it's frustrating when, when we can't fix it or when we, like you were saying, when we're just spinning ourselves out of control uh, with our own emotions or not taking care of ourselves. And I have that, you know, like with my husband is so calm and grounded naturally 
He's just so calm. I don't know how he does it. I'm like, how are you calm and grounded naturally like that? Like I've, whereas I I've shared a bit of my journey and you're sharing yours and it's a little bit more, I have to be aware, you know? So when Jack has something come up, sometimes I can go right to the like, oh, don't do that. Or just the kind of the over, the overreaction of what it might be where he's like, okay, let me handle this. Let me, even I'm not really, I'm not mad. I'm just like, I go more to that drama in a way, whereas he's more grounded and just, it's okay. He can, he can have a meltdown. He can, he can have his feelings. I remember what I was like when I was seven or six. And I, I kind of can't, I don't get there with him right away. You know, I'm coming at it from this reactive place sometimes. So I think it's, Sometimes it's just, it's remembering where they are on their journey. Like you said, they have their journey. They're only on this planet for what, five, six, seven years. It's like, (laughs) you know, they don't have this all figured out. I still don't. And um, yeah. And being in that kind of place with them, I read this book called um, No Drama Discipline by Mm. Siegel, Dr. Siegel. It's really good, but he talks about basically the first thing you do when your child is having any sort of anxiety moment or any stress moment is you connect you immediately connect with them whether that's through a hug or like I said just getting down and saying I hear you oh that must be hard and just sort of connecting because what's that does is it starts to quiet the amygdala it starts to calm like oh okay versus why are you feeling that way don't feel that way Mm -hmm. well that's you can't act like that or you shouldn't feel that way that just keeps the amygdala sort of flaring Mm -hmm. but connection is what calms it And then when you connect with them, then you can start to help them get to that higher elevator of their brain, like starting to reason a little more. And that's when the emotions chart can come in. Let's look at what you're feeling and what, you know, Mm -hmm. I love that. I want to say, what about when they're fighting? (laughs) Siblings are fighting. Do I just go and do a group hug? (laughs) Come here. You too. I only have one. So I always go, Oh, sometimes I wish I had two because they at least play together. Yeah. Like I always hear the fighting, but that's the fun. They'll grow up and be so happy they have each other. You know, I'm sure they will. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that that was so awesome. That was really really helpful. Thank you so much. Um, So the last thing I want to ask you is about your book and sort of where we can get it, and also how that process was. I'm really curious the book writing process, also allowing it to come through so that you can help people in book form. That's a really neat thing. So can you tell us a bit about your book? Yeah. So my book was, um, <clears throat> I actually went through a book coach. So I got a coach to help me get some structure because again, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's great to have a, a mentor, a teacher, someone who's walked the path. And so I, ha- I had a great book coach who helped me with the structure, with the deadlines, timelines to get this, you know, into f- something that made sense. So I, it's, it's my book is really, it's telling, it's weaving in my personal story of when I was young, it's not getting into a lot. It's not a autobiography, but it's weaving in personal story enough that I give actual examples about the anxiety, how I came through it, how I changed weaving in, uh, the yoga sutra. So real key teachings in everyday language, these spiritual principles. So weaving story yoga sutra, and then some of the work that I do with women is weaved in there as well. But it's, um, I go through seven spiritual principles that changed my life. And then I talk later in the book about the obstacles that you might face along your path and how to deal with those obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book writing was just felt like I'd always wanted to write a book or not always, but for many, many, many years. And I just, I don't know. I just felt like it was time. It just came to me. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And so I sought out and applied for my, to work with my book coach and got accepted to work with her and wrote it. And it came out last year and it's been absolutely amazing. So it's, um, 
it's if I'm so spiritual, why am I still so anxious? And it's a how to find your center and reclaim your joy. So the, it's not a book of quick fixes or even, you know, a lot of in the moment tips about how to handle anxiety. It's really, again, that deeper work about how do I actually change Mm -hmm. deep inside and develop that relationship with myself. It's really a a book about how to find that relationship. And so you can find it on um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. The audio version came out in Audible last month. Ooh, nice. so people want to listen to it they can listen to it um you can also download the first uh, three chapters you can go to my website at joystonecoaching.com and download those chapters and the book bonuses there so yeah awesome thank you that sounds that sounds incredible and i love that you go through the spiritual teachings because i think there's a lot of seekers and i know a lot of in women and seekers in my audience that are in, in these spiritual teachings, like we've said, but are still struggling with the anxiety. So sometimes it's like the things you've already touched base with, and maybe even principles that have shifted you already applying that on a deeper level to the sort of issue in quotes of anxiety and how to apply these things. Because some, even things like the present moment or being the change, you can think, how do I apply this to this? How do I apply that to yeah. this? So maybe sometimes we need like these things condensed to really see how we can go about healing the root cause of this anxiety. It sounds like that's what you've done for people. And it just, that's, that's amazing. When somebody wants to manifest or change their life, what do you think is the most important thing? When they want to manifest or change their life, the most important thing. And I, to me, this has just been my experience is to know what you actually want, Mm -hmm. because I think you know, in my, in my workshops years ago, when I used to teach workshops a lot, I would have women draw in the group. I would say, okay, everybody draw a donut. And almost everybody drew a circle with a circle around it. And they might've put frosting or sprinkles on it, but it was a circle with a circle. Somebody drew a maple bar, but anyways, most time it was that. And then I would say, okay, now draw happiness. And everybody's picture was different. And there were even women who just had blank pages. Like, what do I write? Like, what is that? Like, we haven't, most of our thoughts, and you know this, and I'm sure you teach us, is that we're thinking about what we don't want. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to look like I don't belong or whatever it is. But what do I really want? And early on in my spiritual journey, I met my, not my first teacher, but one of my first yogic teachers. And he gave me the mantra, which was, it's okay to want what you want for any reason at all or no reason at all. And I thought, oh, that sounds really selfish and terrible. Cause I grew up, my dad used to say, well, how does it feel to want? Like it was a bad word, you know? And so I was like, whoa, but all I'm doing is giving myself permission to want it. Mm. And then I had to get clear on what that was. And it's like, oh, so I would say the first thing is really allowing yourself to desire because what you want is in there for a reason Mm. and to get a clear picture of it as clear as you can today, knowing that'll change Mm. in the positive, in the Mm. positive terms. So I think that's really important. And that was really important for me as well. I love that. I love it. Thank you so much. I'll be sure to put all of your links, how we can reach you and your website in the show notes. Um, Thanks again. It just was so amazing. And I I can't wait for everybody to hear this. I know it's going to be really valuable. Well, thanks for having me. This was great. I loved it.
Hey love, thank you for listening to today's episode. I really hope you got some incredible value from it. And if you did, pretty please head over to iTunes and leave me a review and hit the subscribe button. This really does make a huge difference in the success of the show. And it really shows me that you want this type of training, tools, techniques to hack law of attraction and have you manifest fast. Thank you in advance for that. And before I go, I want to remind you that there is a version of yourself that already has what it is that you want, already has the manifestations, already has the love, the abundance, the success, the freedom, the self-confidence, and everything else that you could want. So what I'm going to encourage you to do today is to envision her, embody her, ask what's her energy about, what's her mindset set like and what advice does she have for me today as you do this my love you awaken her you quantum align you collapse time and you make yourself able to manifest the life you want so much quicker have a fantastic day and i will see you in the next episode